Hello, Internet. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. This is the audio podcast show number 58. It's the 11th of June, 2012. Yay. <laughs> um, I'm Samuel Freeman. That's Scott Hewitt. And we're joined by Jesse. Um, sorry, hello. Jesse hello. <laughs> um, hello, Jesse. So uh, Jesse's joining us from ElectroTap who are known for uh, tap tools, Jamola, um, involvement in the Jamola project, I should probably say, hemispherical speakers and sensors, and the uh, T-Box. So we're going to just have a, well, we're going to ask him a couple of questions about the T-Box and hemispherical speakers and stuff like that, and any other things that Electrap have got kind of brewing, and then we'll get into our normal kind of show content after that. That is the plan. If you want to follow on with any show notes or anything like that, as always, you can find them on our website, which is a new website, but we're just quickly, we won't say anything about the new website other than it's at theaudiopodcast.co.uk and this is show 58, which is hopefully easy to find. Cool. So um, the T-Box, you know, our show is uh, Will MIDI Ever Die? And this strikes me as one of the kind of things <laughs> that might kill MIDI one day, if it ever was to die. Could you, um, what is the T-Box for people who don't, don't know? So the T-Box is a sensor interface, um, high speed, high resolution, and darn near indestructible. Um, yeah, just basically solves a lot of the, the normal problems that, that sensor interfaces have. So. And what do you yeah. mean when you say uh, high speed and high resolution then? What? Well, it's, it's um, basically each uh, sample or each uh, sensor gets captured about 4,000 times per second. And it's at 12 bits. Um, could have gone up, but most of our sensors don't even give out a resolution that that's, that's that high. So 12 bits works out pretty well. Um, and then basically the, the sort of unique thing about it is it transmits all of its sensor data over um, SPDIF audio, so digital audio. Um, and that way all the audio is synchronized with your sensors. So if you have audio that's being processed by sensor data, it's all coming in at the same time, same rate. Um, and it actually comes in as audio. And so you can apply things directly through uh, just traditional synthesis techniques. You can also slow it down if you need to, to um, make it run for you know controlling graphics and that sort of thing but but it comes in at a high rate high res so that uh, you can use it directly right like that awesome stuff so um, it, it sounds like it's going to fix all those kind of problems related to things like midi resolution and just the kind of general sort of serial timing problems that you get with you get with midi but um i i suppose the the one major defense of midi that still exists is the fact that it's kind of universally everywhere and really easy to kind of work with how's it what's it like trying to work with the, the t-box system um well basically that with the t-box you just plug in your sensors and you bring it in um it, it depends on what you're using you know it, we have uh we, we distribute objects for max to bring it in real easy we've got super collider and pd objects to do and we also have just an application that can translate it into osc or da -da -da, midi if you really need it uh, to get into whatever you want, um, but you know that's that's kind of how that goes. It's a uh, yeah. I don't the, your mid, will MIDI ever die? I don't think it's going to. It's going to be a long time before we can actually kill that off. I think OSC has the best chance, though. I think uh, yeah, things are taken off with that. So I'm I'm happy to see that. From a uh, from a programming solution, I I think the idea of the T box using um. Spidiff audio is that's something I've actually experimented with myself as well because it's mm -hmm. it's something that it is easy it you know it's easy to transfer audio from 
you know, audio signals from one place to the other place, digital cables, they're, they're readily available. The kind of all the connectors and stuff are readily available as well. So there's lots of really great things about using audio kind of stuff. And I'd argue mm -hmm. one of the limitations of OSC in terms of wider adoption is that it, while it works nicely across an Ethernet cable, it doesn't necessarily work well across like audio cables and things like that, which people maybe have more readily available sure. to themselves. So there's also, there's also that, um, I mean, most people send OSC via UDP, which, you know, if it doesn't, if your packet doesn't get there, well, you don't know. Um, you can send it, use the protocol over TCP, but I don't know very many implementations that actually do that. With the digital audio approach, though, one of the things we really liked about it was basically audio is, is really demanding. And so people have made their devices to withhold or stand up to that. You know, you don't want to have even a signal vector, you know, of delay because then you get your pops and your clicks and all that sort of stuff. And so they end up being really robust devices. And for us, we just sort of piggybacked off of that. And when you send the digital audio across, it comes in really low latency, basically as low latency, latency as you can get on your computer, or at least, yeah, yeah, without some really hard, hardcore stuff. Anyway, so you can get things down to really small numbers of milliseconds, four milliseconds, five milliseconds of delay, round trip. It's really pretty crazy. That's, that's really cool stuff. So do you, is the idea of the system that it might eventually see kind of embedding in devices in the way that MIDI is, or is it more just for kind of more kind of specialist boutique kind of situations? <laughs> uh, well, we made it for a specialist boutique sort of situation. Basically, uh, Tim Place and I, this was back in 2004, 2003, 2004, when we were developing it. Um, basically, we had a need for this system uh, for some installations that we were doing that we needed really low latency and really high speed. And um, so we that's actually how ElectroTap started, believe it or not. We, uh, before that, we had been doing a lot of open source stuff and, and giving things away and doing shareware type stuff. And uh, when this one came along, when, when we, we wrote a couple of papers on different approaches to sensor systems, and when we came across this idea with the SPDIF, um, basically to make it for ourselves, it was going to cost a lot of money, <laughs> like tens to twenties of thousands of dollars to get this thing produced. Um, sort of in the dark ages of, of uh, DIY when not much was out there, so it was really tricky. But um, so anyway, what, what happened was to finance this thing. We tried a bunch of different ways to get it financed, and the way that we ended up doing it was we basically sunk a ton of money, went into, into debt, and then started a business, <laughs> thinking that if we needed it, somebody else might, and eventually we'll, we'll sell out. A couple years later, we paid it all off, and we're doing just fine. But... Uh, yeah, that was a little hairy. Our wives uh, <laughs> looked askance at us when we when we first started that endeavor. <laughs> cool. So, do you still have a T boxes available for sale? Then we do. We do. In fact, we just um, just released a, the naked T box, um, which is a basically a chassisless version. It's funny when we made it. We made it with this wonderful metal chassis and everything. You can actually jump on the thing while it's running, and uh, have it not <laughs> not skip a beat. But um, you know it, that that was also the most expensive single part on the entire thing. So to cut costs down and be able to sell it a little cheaper, we're we're selling a, a a bare version, just the circuit board, and you can wire in whatever you want. And is that um do do they ship worldwide? They do. Uh, and they how do. much are they? I guess this is the final question. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Uh, it is one ninety nine for the the naked tea box, and then they are. Well, I haven't looked at this in a while. I think it's three ninety five for the uh, the regular version. Do, do, do. Although we may have dropped the price on that. We did. It is two ninety five. Well, there you go. Lots of stuff. <clears throat> um, we haven't said how many how many senses you can run through uh -huh. this thing at once. Right. Um, well, we kept it kind of modest. Uh, basically, it's there are eight analog sensors that sample four thousand times a second, uh, twelve bits, and then there are sixteen toggles, which also sample at four thousand times per second. So, um, for instance, one of the things we've done in the past is if you needed more sensor in inputs, you can actually uh, do like pulse width modulation or or uh, that sort of thing, and then just it's it's low res at that point, but it's it's a, up at about the the MIDI. It's comparable to MIDI range of those, so you can use those as few further inputs if you needed. So that's that's that. Um, we also the T box itself has a bunch of different connections, which I think is kind of interesting. We we like to use ours with XLR connectors, um, just because everybody, well, most of the people in our field anyway have XLRs lying around, and you can just plug them in if you need it to go longer. But you can stable, also yeah. Yeah, yeah, very rugged. But you can also plug in tip ring sleeve, um, and then there's also a three-pin header. And in the back of the box, there's actually um, RJ11 jacks, which are like uh, telephone-type cables. Mm -hmm. And you can bundle four sensors on one cable and just run out one line for ways. So, so it, yeah. it's, it's really useful. It's really designed to be kind of very flexible, but also kind of rugged enough to tour, but also useful in a kind of insulation environment as well. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things I've had it running an installation for months, um, which has been really nice. In fact, I had a, an installation get hit by lightning once, and uh, all I did was reboot the computer, and it uh, all came back up, so it was great. <laughs> That's impressive. That's impressive. Cool. Well, I guess um, j just finally, I know the something else that you brought on ElectroTap have started doing more recently is just the uh, hemispherical speakers, which have been oh, yeah. popularized by the uh, laptop performance kind of crowd. And I'm thinking of Slork and Plork and people like this. So can you just tell us a little bit about the hemisphericals that you're offering at the moment? Yeah, yeah. Actually, this is uh, another story. We've been selling them for quite a while um, as unpowered versions. Um, and that was through Stefan Moore, a friend of ours who had done a lot of design and, and uh, wanted to just have a way to, to get, sell them. Um, and so recently, he's actually spun off his own company called Isabel Audio. Um, and from that, we're basically doing the reselling of the hemispheres. And he's made um, powered versions, which are awesome. We've had so many requests for powered versions of these things. But uh, in the past, there have been a lot of heat issues and just the expense of making them. But we were able to do it. And, uh, and anyway, you can check them out on our site or check them out on Isabel's site. Basically, there's a, a six-pin um, connector in it, so you can actually address all six of the speaker or speakers on the hemisphere individually, spatialize them however you want, and then... Um, when you buy one, you get two cables, one that just goes out to mono, so you can run one signal across the whole thing, or you can run uh, six channels of uh, RCA into it and then spatialize it however you want. Cool. Awesome stuff. I, I had the opportunity to hear one um, at, at Sleo earlier on this year, and it, it did sound pretty 
it, it sounded kind of awesome, kind of awesome actually. I liked it. I thought it was kind of fun. <laughs> it seemed a nice kind of mobile sort of package as well in terms that you could pick it up and carry it around as well, which is which is nice as well, I think. You know, it's a, yeah, it's pretty handy. The um, Actually, maybe I should say something about the reason for hemispherical speakers. If you don't know about them, um, basically they're, they're designed to be a point source. It's a bunch of research that uh, Dan Truman had done many years ago um, that kind of spawned this. But essentially, uh, when you have an electronic instrument, the, the idea behind it is if you're pumping it out of just like a stereo set of speakers or something like that or on stage and you have a, a reference monitor, you're disembodied from whatever the, the, wherever your sound is being produced from your instrument. Whereas like if you're playing a violin, then the sound is coming right from that body, right? And then emanating out to the room and then reflecting and then reaching the ears of the people listening. And there's a lot of a, a very different experience from having that becoming from a specific point in, in space as opposed to just being like having the stereo field that has all that audio coming. And so the idea of this is to be this hemisphere is the body of your instrument. And so it comes from that point, interacts with the room, and then reaches the listeners a lot like a traditional instrument would or an acoustic instrument would. And um, there's, there's a lot of debate about that approach, but um, I know that when I've done it and made the change, yeah, it significantly changed the way that I played, and in a lot of ways, the way that I enjoyed uh, what I was doing, because I could, you know, I could tell how my sound was mixing with other performers and that sort of thing. You end up being like this sort of chamber ensemble, as opposed to being this just wall of sound. Now, if you want the wall of sound, this is probably not the way you want to go. But if you want to have that kind of more intimate. Uh, approach musically, it, it works out really well. That's that's very true. Um, I've used uh, in in a jazz group that I play. I've actually used um, bows have a kind of long, thin stick kind of thing, which yeah. explores a similar idea. And we um we switched to using them for for a little mm -hmm. bit to play, and actually found as a it gave a nice a nice level of reinforcement as as much as you needed really, but had a much more kind of natural and organic sort of sound for the actual listeners, but also for the performers in terms of being able to monitor much better what you could hear and what you didn't hear. And you didn't have to worry about monitor mixes and the such like that. So I think it's an, it's a nice, it's a nice kind of way. And I, I found <laughs> experiences taught me that whenever I go to a gig and they're doing that kind of, that sort of reinforcement, um, it's always usually a nice kind of sensible sound level as well. You don't, you don't yeah. have to deal with that kind of incredibly <laughs> loud blast from the front it, it just true. doesn't happen, which is always a nice, a nice sign I find as I do that. I was at a con uh, concert recently where where it was very much like that, and all of a sudden they started, and you know it, they had the uh, person in the back mixing the house and everything, and they started started playing, and it was just incredibly loud. So I looked back at the person mixing, and he had just put his earplugs and <laughs> just kept it up. So I don't know, I don't know if they'd requested it or something, but oh man, that was painful. That's always a bad sign. That's always a bad sign. Well, Jesse, um, th thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting chatting with you about it. Could you tell people where they can find out more about yourself and more about ElectroTap? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, the ElectroTap is just electrotap.com. Um, there's plenty of stuff there. There's uh, well, if you want to look at more of the hemispherical stuff, there's Isabel Audio, I S O B E L Audio.com, which is great. Um, and then my own personal site, um, I actually teach over at uh, Louisiana State University uh, in the experimental music pro program there. 
Um, and you can get to me through allisonic.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-I-C.com. And there you go. Awesome stuff. And Ivo Samurai will make sure it gets added into the show notes at the end of, at the, end of the show. So they'll be there as well yep. to go mm-hmm. and check out as well. Cool. Well, um, I, if, I don't know if you want to hang around and talk for the other news items or not, but if you choose to, that's fine. If not, that's also kind of, that's also fine, <laughs> I guess, you know, feel free to bail if you want to or not. We're head through them as well. Um, I'm going to, um, I'm going to invite in our kind of <laughs> listener circle now that we've done the bit that we need to make sure we get right. And then, uh, just for fun, Sam, do you want to do you want to start yep. us off with the with the next item while I do that? Oh, actually, I'm I'm gonna have to run, but thank you guys both, and uh, okay, yeah, I look forward to hearing the rest of it. Cool. Okay, Jesse, thanks. See, see you later. later. Bye. I'll see you later. <clears throat> okay, so I'm at audio at theaudiopodcast.co.uk/slash/show/slash/fifty-eight, which is the new way of finding our notes. And after that, the next thing we have up is. Oh, you know what, Scott? I'm going to skip a bit. I'm going to skip down to some stories that I actually added. I think we're going to follow on from the um, hemispherical speakers there to the a dodecahedron speaker. Okay, go for it. Was... That's fine. Yep. So this is something that um, I spotted posted on Instructables last week. So if you've got access to a 3D printer, you can download the patterns to print out parts to construct your own spherical speaker. Um six-sided this is a it's, it's only a mono input so you haven't got a, um individually addressable things and you know it, all the acoustics treatments of sleep it's pretty lo-fi in some respects but it also looks cool and the whole diy thing like you're saying in the past few years it's kind of exploded and the availability of this technology where we can print out precision parts it just yeah building this kind of thing by hand would be very difficult because of the angles involved. So, yeah, there you go. That's something I added in as I thought it interesting. It looks cool. It, it does indeed. And it just, yeah, you know, yeah, that, that's cool stuff. I'm going to swing us back to the top of the notes now because it's easy okay, to work our way down. But that's fine. It was good of you to grab that while I just sorted a couple of bits out there. I was really cool about that. So, uh, TC Helicon have um, announced a new uh, product comparison feature on their website, which is pretty cool. Um, it basically allows you to go looking for their products and you can, you know, compare all the products they have available and go looking for them, looking, you know, kind of on a whole variety of different kind of parameters and things. So if you're interested in a particular feature or, you know, you know what you need on your device, but you just don't know what it's going to, you know, what kind of options there are out there. It's a nice, easy way to kind of go looking for them and looking for options, you know, looking for options to work with as well. So, yep. So you can compare up to three at a time on that. Very cool. Which, which is a very cool feature as well. Now, happening right now, which part of the reason why I think we had a bit of disarray at the start of the show, because I wasn't paying full attention to the time either, but um, the Apple Worldwide Developers Conference is starting today, and the keynote is probably still underway right now. So it was kind of fun. I thought, as I was putting together the show notes this afternoon, I thought I would quickly put a, um, some predictions as to what I, what I thought would happen. So... Um, I'm I'm happy to report that I didn't do, I well I don't know how well I did or didn't do yet because there could always be and something else at the end of the, of, of the keynote which I missed, but um, um but I, I I don't know yet what they did announce though which were I think we'll talk about a lot more next week. Was um, was was the new style MacBook Pro 
which, which has featured a massive update. Uh, Sam, have you seen any about anything about this yet? Or? Yeah, I've managed to find some um, kind of semi-real time updates on it. Um, so, you want, so the MacBook Pro is looking picture. So, what we got? Here? We've got most sick stuff. Well, they've got the, the the new MacBook Pro Pro screens are coming with the kind of Retina Retina level kind of resolution screens on them now of 200, uh, 200, 200 DPI on the display. So it's actually almost a four K screen, which is four times what you would call ten eighty p, what you call a high definition screen. So that's a it's a massive size screen. Um, they've also something I noticed is they've dropped FireWire support completely from that device. It has twin Thunderbolt, so you could obviously go Thunderbolt to FireWire if you wanted to. Um, mm. But they've dropped support for FireWire. It's gone from there. You get USB three on the box as well. So um, you know, it's it's nice to see. I was always a little bit nervous that Apple might kind of say like they did with FireWire. They said right, we'll have FireWire and USB two turned up eventually. Whereas here, it's nice that they're not going to push Thunderbolt at the cost of USB three. They're supporting the two side by side straight away. Um, I I think this is the death of the of the Mac Pro. He says, being fully aware that they may just have <laughs> announced a revision while I, in the last <laughs> twenty minutes while we've been running this show, but um, I don't see why you would buy a Mac Pro when you could. Uh, they 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 the, the pricing suggested it was going to be just over two thousand dollars for that device, and with the exception of people who people who are buying things and don't want their employees to be able to wander off and lose their laptops, I don't see why you would buy a desktop rather than a device now at that price and with that feature set. What do you think, Sam? Well, it's just people selling things, isn't it? I think... <laughs> You've got to admit, that's an awesomely capable device, though, for, for audio production. It is. It is. I just... I. Maybe I'm just as thick in the mud, but I haven't, and I haven't actually seen any of these retina displays with my own eyes yet. I just don't quite see the point because I kind of, they say that this new one, this new MacBook Pro is going to be a bit bigger than the 13 inch one that I have here. Um, but you're going to have a hell of a lot, you're going to have twice as many pixels on there or more. Is it, you know, you, you're going to fit more, does that mean you're going to fit more things on, but you won't be able to see them? You're going to have to have fonts larger, you know, if you're talking about actual pixels. You see, I'm a big fan of these retina displays because I sit here on a on a daily basis. Like for people who have ever visited me where I where I work or not, I'm saying I I'm actually here right now with I got a you know three different computers running right now doing various different things. So let me do this. And the only thing that prevents one of these computers doing it is purely a screen is a real estate issue. Just there isn't enough pixels on the screen to be able to do everything. Like I could probably go to one computer if I could have a. a you know, a 4K, if, if I had a cinema display, I, pro, I, said, I dare say I'd be able to run everything off one cinema display, but it's cheaper to have multiple computers than it is to run a cinema display. And, you know, there's other advantages to having lots of computers as well. So that's why I do it that way. But being able to see lots of things on the screen at the same time is a cool, it is nice and is really useful. I'm saying you can imagine in inside a big Pro Tools session or a big Logic session, you know, <clears> being able to see everything and have all the windows. You wouldn't need to have windows over top, on top of windows and having to switch between them all, you know, those kind of things. It's it's nice having that screen real estate. I think. I agree, and like that's that's something that's important having that stuff. However, if have stuff increasing font sizes and having things bigger or even reducing two feet further away, so 
I don't know when, like, if the laptops are wired in with like lots of sound cards, and like if every every hole is filled with something on the side, then you don't want to be touching it and moving it around. So I usually sit back with the USB keyboard, and in that in those situations, well, I usually have a second monitor going for extra stuff, but the stuff which is on one screen, I need it to be bigger, not smaller. Just okay. that's just my thought on it. You know, I'm I'm happy that this is probably there's probably all sorts of great things about it that I haven't considered and I'm sure for watching feel great and good for the future, but I'm just not I'm just not sold on it as it in of itself. Oh, fair enough. That, that's <laughs> okay. Well let let's move on because I'm sure we're gonna talk about WWDC more in the uh you know more next week once every once the whole week's been through and all the announcements are done and we've kind of got all the information in the way we can reference back to it as well because iOS six will be there and there's a whole lot of chatter about the next version of OS X as well and how the convergence between them is going to work or not. So uh, let's move on. Should we move on? I think we should move on. Let's move on. Let's, yeah, what's next? Let's then? wander on. The reason for our title. Um, MIDI. <laughs> MIDI in the browser ARG was, was how I wanted to put the show. The, so apparently, I'm, I'm amazed. Well, I'm not amazed. It's obvious that this would happen. But the, the W3 have released the first draft specification for MIDI playback implemented directly within the browser under HTML5. Now, the reason I went MIDI in the browser R is because I remember the early days of the internet where you would get to a web page and it would start playing some horrific piece of MIDI. Like, you know, kind of like... They were great. Embed. The embed tag. That's how you get get your MIDI file in. (laughs) Yeah. So this is... it, It just amazes me. I'm saying MIDI just... It just won't die. It it just lives forever, doesn't it? You just, you know, what I mean, in terms of in terms of functionality, and it 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 just it just horrifies me the fact that it continues to continues the, on. The kind of like the, the the way a lot of people in the world think about music is in terms of notes and pitches and things happen on and off, and that's it. And MIDI accommodates for all of that perfectly fine. If there's a lot more to sound and music than what MIDI provides, but MIDI perfectly addresses what most people think of as necessary, and so there it is. Maybe, maybe I, I, I just, yeah. Anyway, it's there. If if you're interested <laughs> in how the how MIDI support in HTML5 is going to work, it is an open draft specification now, so you can contact. Uh, there's there's a process to be involved in. You can contact with suggestions or complaints. And they are implementing the act. They are discussing how the actual core implementation is going to be done. I was really excited to see there's a, a consideration of the security issues immediately at the top of it there, which is an important thing. Um, the the earlier ways of doing MIDI embed used to be very vulnerable under kind of you know 3.4 and stuff like that. So it's it's nice that they've put in a lot more consideration into how it's going how it's going to be handled and stuff like that as well. So MIDI lives on. Ah, <laughs> but while MIDI does live on, and unfortunately the same can't be said for uh, Bias. No, Bias dead. According to this, <clears throat> Bias dead. Peak isn't well. Peak dead. Um, the the authorization servers are still running, um, as as they've said. Um, in, be interesting to see what happens later. You know, eventually, I'm saying you can't run an authorization server for free forever. It costs money to run it. And support mm. it. So, is Peak dead? Will Peak be sold? Will they do something else with it? I I don't know. Do, do you have any experience working with Peak? Um, not much. But Peak was kind of always the de facto wave editor on like 
on like sounded so on um on Mac, wasn't it? Like in the in the past. I mean, the fact that I have like that was that was the impression I had before when I was still primarily a Windows user, and since buying my first MacBook and using this kind of well, I haven't been using it. You know, prior prior to switching, I probably thought that I would, but I so I maybe that's you know symptomatic of why ever it is they've disappeared. But would you would you say that's a fair assessment of how it used to be viewed? It, I would agree. I'm saying I, I always remember it being Soundforge on Windows. Am I right? Yeah, it was Soundforge, wasn't it? Yeah, Soundforge on Windows, peak on <coughs> peak on Mac. That was that was always the way the way it was, wasn't it? I wonder if part of the reason they've struggled is because of the way that the open source tools have really developed. Like, um, for you know, things like Audacity, obviously give a lot of a lot of the functionality. Not the not the really high level functionality, but how many people really need that, and how many people are willing to get by on using something like Audacity based on the fact it's free and free. You know what I mean? And at the same time, you think of something like GarageBand, which is now bundled, you know, on every new Mac. Are there, you know, are there that many people who need more than what they can do in GarageBand that are willing to go out and spend the money on on something like Peak? I, I don't know. Same. Um, I guess not having any I mean, direct experience, I can't tell you what the super killer feature that Peak d does that something like that you can't do inside Logic. But I suspect there aren't that many things that you know re that Logic can't do that Peak did that many people would need if that makes sense and then thinking about high-end market like if you want to have a dedicated audio editor that's going to have advanced features that perhaps not everybody probably that is the first thing that comes to mind now for me so yeah oh well such such as it is such as it is yeah so um moving away from uh something that's dead to something that's new <laughs> you see <laughs> uh motu have rolled out a new um uh, announced a new audio interface, the Track 16. Um, and, and this looks pretty... Uh, I, I thought this looked pretty incredible, actually. Um, as as list, long-time listener listeners to our show will know, I have a mixed relationship with Motu. I use their hardware all the time. I think it's great. It's invincible. But they won't supply me any Linux drivers, so my future with them is over. But, you know, it's still cool <laughs> hardware. And this Track 16 um, is... It looks well. Have you seen a picture of it? It looks incredible. First of all, and it it's an incredible kind of looking. I've I've just loaded. I've just seen it for the very first time, and it looks like a cross between um, the the Uno, the one thing. Yeah, yeah. Who makes that? I don't know. And the and it also reminds me of the um, the propeller head um, thing. What do they call that? I'm oh, sorry, my brain's gone dead. Remember, it looks like two things I can think of, but can't remember the names. That's great contribution, Sam. That's awesome stuff. <laughs> what? What? Saying quickly, describe it for our listeners. You've got you know a nice set of buttons in front of you. It, it's like it's a set of buttons. There's a big dial in the middle of it, and then a set of meters on the front. It's um, it's designed to sit on your desktop and look cool. That's like it. it this isn't a massive chunk of metal. It's designed to look cool. Um. It has a breakout cable on the back of it, which can either go to cable or actually go to a breakout box. So you can, if you want to, have that kind of big chunk of metal box sitting around as well to link the two together, which I think is a really cool kind of way of running that sort of interface. It definitely means that you can have that nice tidy box on your desk with the buttons and the knob and the LEDs, but you haven't got to have all of your 
jacks and stuff all going into it as well. You can have them elsewhere. That's that's a really clever way of making it neat and tidy. It, it definitely is, isn't it? Um, in terms of functionality, um, they, they as they've kind of said themselves, it's it is the same internals as a, a Mark III as the Mark III interface hybrid interfaces. So the ultralight and the eight two eights and Mark III ones. And and in terms of connectivity, it's actually a combination. It's a nice combination of the two of them. So you have the the smaller size connectivity of the ultralight. So you don't have XLR outs on it. It's just TRS outs. But you do get ADAT on it, which you don't get on an ultralight. So it's a nice kind of mix of connectivity, which I, I think will put it in a great position for a kind of home, you know, for kind of a more customer facing environment. You know, if you're if you're doing some sort of post production video or something like that and you've got clients watching in, this is a kind of neat solution rather than, you know, needing to have massive racks in the way and things like that. So it's kind of nice. It's kind of a nice solution for that kind of thing as well. Runs at a 24-bit, 192K, so, you know, kind of full-res full res audio in there as well. I like it. I thought it was cool. Yeah. Yep, I think I think that's very good. I'm, I'm still planning on selling either my 828 Mark, my Mark II 828 or my Ultralight, though, my Mark III Ultralight. Um, so if anybody's interested, give me a shout. Um, that's mainly because I, I need something with some proper Linux support. So, um, yeah. I've just... Um... Yeah, a couple of things on the on the connections around the service. The it's labeled, it's got fire. So you said it like, like as you say, it's got USB two and FireWire, which is four hundred. But the connector is a eight hundred shaped connector. Oh, that's that's interesting to me. Um, I mean, that's you know, I find that useful. It means that I can have a eight hundred to eight hundred cable. Well, putting it down to the four hundred even. Yeah. Well, 800 and you can obviously connect to a 400 device from an 800 port. You just need a, a cable to do the physical connection thing. So. Yeah, so they've given the physical shape of the upper one but using the lower speed. Why not? Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So if we move on, Sam, I, th I think you, you put this story in here, uh, this this next story in. Um, okay, yep. So we'll, well, we've mentioned the dodecahedron speaker. Um, but the next one is what's new in Reason 6.5. Um, this is not that new anymore. It probably would have got, we missed the show last week, didn't we? So I think this was, was that even last Monday that it was released? Anyway, they've got a, um, a video out there, and I've actually, in celebration of. Oh, I am. I am excited about this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, have, have, so what's new? We've mentioned this, this is happening already, so the rack extensions is what's new, and it's in Reason 6.5 and Reason Essentials 1.5. And I'm excited, in short, because it opens up the rack to having all kinds of stuff in there. And I've posed the question at the end, what? how long will it be before someone gets something like PD or SuperCollider running in the rack? That's kind of, you know, sure, there's going to be loads of compressors and filters and kind of all the stuff that you would expect to get as VSTs kind of like being reported across into here and new things made, especially for the rack extensions. But what what can you, what, what I'd, I'd, I'd like to see different things being put in there. Just, just, just because it makes things more exciting. I think that it can open up music making beyond what we generally think of in terms of signal processing and stuff. I mean, why would it, I don't know exactly what the limitations of the SDK would be, but 
you can imagine a a um buying a rack extension which could connect to something like that electrotap box the the t box that so you can have sensors coming in there converting analog inputs into control voltages to use elsewhere in the rack or things like that i don't know i think yep it just seems it feels like a milestone that propeller heads have been making solid software i mean whether you're interested in it or not it's kind of the, their technology is used by a lot of other developers things like rewire and rex and i think it's going to continue to be so for a long time so it's an interesting time in terms of newness that's all cool awesome stuff well i'm aware that our time is uh, flying by so we should let's uh, let, let's just keep pushing on maybe i think um i got here is um well, if we go into our imaginatively named other section, <laughs> which is just fantastic. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, the, you know, our, the only thing I wanted to mention is that we actually do have a new website up and running, and it's live. Um, this is the first week we've had the sh the, it running. Um, first of all, the URL is theaudiopodcast.co.uk, so you no longer need to put wiki dot in front of it. Um, the wiki site does still exist. Um, I haven't really worked out what, what we're going to do with that. <coughs> we'll work that out eventually. Um, there is a chance if you... The, the, the podcast should just work. It should continue to work. And all my testing seems to s support the idea that it will just keep working. But if, um, if you turn up here and you haven't got it... Um, it's because the podcast is now at podcast.theaudiopodcast.co.uk. So the actual audio feed is there. Um, so you might want to go grab, you might need to change that, but it should all auto change itself and it's redirecting properly. So it should all work. So what you're saying, Scott, is if you haven't received this podcast, then then do something different. So they wouldn't, if they haven't, if you, if you haven't, you need to resubscribe or something. But if, if you need to resubscribe, then you might not have it. You won't be hearing this unless, unless you've come to the site to say, hey, where's True 58? Well, precisely. Or you might be watching. You might have bumped into the show on the YouTube now, because you Indeed. can um, you you can find the um you'll find the audio podcast on YouTube. It has its own channel now. So yeah, we can hello there. So I, you, I, because the camera's kind of hidden behind other tabs. I did forget that I was there. So you can subscribe to um, YouTube. Yeah, uh, you can subscribe to us on YouTube as well if you prefer. So if you want to see the video version, you can do that there. Um, over the next two weeks, the video version is going to get a little bit more impressive. There's like some graphics on the way and all that sort of stuff. So that should be pretty cool. Um, so you might want to check that as well. But the one cool feature of the new site, and this is the reason why we've built the new site, is um, what, I, what will actually happen now over the week is when Sam or Scott or I find an item that we think that's going to be on the show, we're going to add it and that will immediately become available to you. So um, you can actually see the show items before the show's recorded. We're going to put them up in real time. So you can subscribe to the news part of the site and it will constantly keep you up to date with all sorts of audio tech developments all week long, which is really cool. And if you want to comment on them or you think something's horrific and we shouldn't mention it at all, or you think we've missed a really big story, then you can you know, feel free to comment on stuff and let us know. Or as always, you can email us, Facebook us, or G plus us, or Twitter us with you know, a lead to a story or somebody we should interview if you want to as well. So that should be really cool. Awesome. Should we go plundering? Uh -oh. <laughs> Into the plunder. Into the plunder. So we have Shaw Mikes on Fake Britain. What's this, Scott? Um, I the BBC program Fake Britain, which is all about ripoff and cons, cons and things like that. Um, had a feature about microphones and about Shure microphones, which are apparently there's a massive amount of Chinese ripoff 
sure microphones floating around the place at the moment. So it was a little feature. If, you, if you're if you in the UK and you get to it in the next five days, I think, you can watch it on, on the iPlayer service. So you can just press the button and go have a look. And it, it tells you what kind of things to look for. So, you know, which I thought was quite useful, actually. You made a couple of cool kind of suggestions about things to check if you're buying, if, when you, if you've received a product and you feel the need to question its you know, validity. So mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. I thought that was, a, that was a cool way to pass some time. Um, the, another cool one as well, and I think, did we mention this? I'd, I'd like to think we mentioned this plunder item as a news item, but in case we didn't, it's in as a plunder item, which is that, the, that Boss held the 2012 Loop Station World Championships. Awesome. This, uh, seems familiar. I think. Yeah. I think we covered it's. Hap- I think we covered the fact it was going to happen, but I don't know if we ever mentioned the fact it had happened. And there is a video of the highlights. Um, my feeling about the use of loop pedals is pretty pretty strong, so I'm not really going to share it. But um, anyway, Sam, what else is in the planet? <laughs> it's a valid tool. Um, the 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 modem and other endangered sound. Somebody has created the Museum of Endangered Sound, and somebody else wrote a really nice. Well, an article that I enjoyed about it. So I've linked to those things. The um, so watch out for that. Um, this it's got a really good example of um SoundCloud timed comments being used. So it's it there's the sound of a dial-up modem dialing up and connecting with annotations saying what all the different squelchy bloopy bloops mean. With some other people have added amusing ones here, there, and everywhere also. So. That's good. And then the Museum of Endangered Sounds itself, I'm going to endeavor to load it. No, I won't because it'll gamble my voice, gamble my voice on this internet connection. Um, but from memory, it's got, I think it's, just, it's work in progress. It's something they're like developing and it's got things like the Tetris music on there. And basically it's just nostalgic sounds of technology of yesteryear. There we go. Thunder. Awesome stuff. Well, that's has made it to the end. Yay. Uh, this has been the uh, the audio podcast, uh, show number 58, Will Midi Ever Die? I've been Ever. Scott Hewitt. I'm Samuel Freeman. Bye. Bye.